We have a cutoff story at number 11. This week, we actually had a tie for stories that would have been there. So we'll explain how the ties get broken. But here are the two headlines that basically at the same spot for this week that we're not going into. So why am I saying that? Because we're letting you know what cut cut off this week. At number 11 and 12, starting with Senator Patrick Leahy taken to the hospital out of abundance of caution after presiding over opening of Trump's impeachment. Tuesday, the 26th of January, we posted that one. And man who appeared on Ellen after rescuing dogs in Hurricane, arrested for alleged role in Capitol Riot, posted on Saturday, the 23rd of January. We'll explain why ties are broken this way because we have another tie coming up very quickly. But those are two stories that were very, very popular, very, very hot coming in at 11 and 12-ish, but not quite big enough to be, get into the top 10. We focus on the stories that you say 10 to 1 are the most important, most conversational, most interesting stories that we're worth talking about, and we will get to those in mere moments here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cooper Payne. This is for the week ending January the 30th, 2021. And welcome to the show. My name is Jay Cleveland Payne. The show, the weekly wrap up. This is a weekly wrap up of news stories from pulled all over the world and all plenty of sources that we present to you as part of the conversation project to figure out what stories are actually more conversational, what things you'd like to talk about or seem more likely to talk about as opposed to watching the regular mainstream news that has to play the hits, get stuck on the same headline and has news that breaks for essentially days at a time. These are stories, as we said, many different sources. Some you may like, some you may not like. Some are we scratch our heads at, at oftentimes, and we present them to you on our social media platforms or on our social media profiles in the platforms of Facebook and Twitter. Facebook, look for us at This Is The Conversation. On Twitter, TH underscore conversation. As you see us posting stories about every 50 minutes every day, uh, you just engage with them on your normal looking through your social media platforms, like them, love them, hate them, share them. The more engagement a story gets, the higher score it gets. Going from Friday at midnight to Friday, 5 a.m., we take all the news stories and we put them into a spreadsheet that gives us a one true score, making the Facebook and Twitter numbers come together in a bit of love. And as we say often, and this week will be a true part of the case, Twitter response basically drives the show. Facebook response kind of shuffles things around, and you will see that as we get closer to the top this week. Follow us, engage with us, and the more store engagement you get, the higher score we'll get there, and you'll hear about them in this podcast. We also talk about the story at the very bottom, and today, very bottom is 194, 194 distinct different postings this week, and we'll call, we call that the almost relevant story of the week. We'll call that one out at the end of the podcast. Uh, normally, it's a story that's posted in that window right after midnight on the final Friday that we have to test. This week, this is a story that lasted all week long, posted on Saturday. So we'll get to that story and we'll kind of talk about why or why not. It may not have been all that great when we get to that story. The Conversation Project is powered by you. If you go to our website, this is theconversation.com slash partnerships, you can find ways to partner with us and help us keep the lights on. You can also just visit any of our sponsors. You can find links to them at all of our properties on our newsletter at our website and of course inside the feed they're all just affiliate links if you click on those links we get something back for what you pay for and you don't pay no extra and we appreciate that the best way you can support us is by making sure you're spreading the love of the conversation and you are spreading the podcast a weekly wrap-up by going to whatever podcast you love and finding us there if you can't find us there go to our website this is a conversation.com and find links to share with other folks the podcasters that we're at can't find us someplace in particular, you can email us or just email us to chat about stuff. 
at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. Let's get on into the stories this weekend. Like we said, kicking things off, we have a tie. So explain the tiebreaker process. If two stories come up with the same true score, we give the story that is the youngest the top billing. So that story got to that point earlier or faster because at less time do you go there. That's how we break a tie. We like numbers to stay in their spots. We don't like to give them a tie because it throws off the, the throws out the mojo, to be honest. But this story and the story next to it, 10 to 9, have a bump in response. That means more responsive than the stories at number 11, the cutoff. That's how many, how much more it took to make sure it was not at 11 of 1.37%. So the bottom two and top two of the, of the cutoff, really, really close this week. And that kind of tells us about the weirdness of the week. But let's go into the weirdness of the story. First, at number 10. Former CEO of Make-A-Wish Iowa charged with embezzling money from charity that supports sick children. Saturday, the 23rd of January, the date that was posted. The source was KTLA in Los Angeles because it was a pretty big story, and that's just where it popped up at. We're going to read you some lines that we posted inside the newsletter this week for pretty much most of the stories to make it quick and easy. But you can go and get our newsletter every day. Find that at thisisconversation.com and subscribe to that. So every day you get the eight things to talk about newsletter and you can see what it is, what's going on. So this is what was going on on that day. The former CEO of Make-A-Wish Iowa has been arrested on felony charges, alleging she embezzled tens of thousands of dollars from the charity that supports sick children, the group confirmed Friday. Jennifer Woodley, 40, turned herself in to authorities in Des Moines on Thursday to face two charges of first-degree theft and unauthorized use of a credit card. She was booked at the Polk County Jail and released after posting $30,000 bond. Two months after becoming the group's president and CEO, Whitley secretly awarded herself a $10,000 bonus, good for her, in October 2019 that had not been approved by its board, not so good for her, according to a criminal complaint unsealed Friday. The bonus, which Woodley added to a list of legitimate business earned by other employees, cost the organization $15,540 in all, police said. Woodley also made 40, or I'm sorry, 84 unauthorized purchases on an organization credit card that were for personal use, totaling more than, in this case, $23,000 over a 10-month span in complaint state. Woodley allegedly did not reimburse the group for those expenses. Math is bad, or math for me is bad, but if you're trying to do math real quick in your head, that is almost $40,000 worth of money that she didn't actually have that was spent and unaccounted for. Very, very bad for someone who's managing to make a wish. Now, deeper in the story, which you can go see the link at our website by clicking the link for the Jewish podcast, it goes into essentially all the people who would be disappointed by something like this, including uh, the Make-A-Wish main chapter CEO and the people there, and of course, Kids everywhere who are looking for Make a Wish. The more ironic thing about this is they actually, the Woodley and her family, had Make a Wish do a wish for a child of theirs years before she became the CEO. So she was actually a beneficiary of Wake Make a Wish, and then she became an employee and a boss, and then she did very, very bad things. The story that is tied by numbers, but uh, number nine because it's younger because it was posted on Wednesday, the 27th of January. Headline reads like this. Proud Boys leader Enrique Toro was a FBI informant. The source we got was from The Guardian, but this is another one that was a whole lot of places as well. Let's read from what we posted in the newsletter this week. Enrique Toro, the leader of the Proud Boys extremist group, 
has a past as an informer for federal and local law enforcement, repeatedly working undercover for investigators after he was arrested in 2012, according to a former prosecutor, and a transcript of a 2014 federal court proceeding obtained by Reuters. In the Miami hearing, a federal prosecutor, a Federal Bureau of Investigations agent, and Terrell's own lawyer described his undercover work and said he had helped authorities prosecute more than a dozen people in various crimes, including drugs, gambling, and human smuggling. Terrell, in an interview with Reuters on Tuesdays, denied working undercover and cooperating in cases against theirs. Quote, I don't know any of this, he said when asked about the transcript. I don't recall any of this. Law enforcement officials and the court transcript contradict Terrell's denial. In a statement to Reuters, the former federal prosecutor in Terrell's case, Vanessa Singh, Johannes, sorry about that, confirmed that, quote, he cooperated with local and federal law enforcement to aid the prosecution of those running other separate criminal enterprises, ranging from running marijuana, grow houses in Miami to operating pharmaceutical fraud schemes. There you have. He said, she said, literally, he said he ain't no snitch. She said, yeah, he is. Let's move on to the story listed at number eight this week. This story gets a bump in response. I mean, more people were responsive than the story previous by 4.05%. We posted it on Saturday, the 23rd of January as well. A lot of things posted from the weekend lasted a whole, whole long time this week. The headline reads, massive protests in support of Alexei Navalny takes place across Russia. The source for this story is the Moscow Times, which was kind of cool. We went through a couple different sources for this one, to be honest. And then the Moscow Times had a write-up. So we said, it's about Moscow. It's about Russia. Let's use them as a source. Here's what they said about this story. Russians nationwide are taken to the streets of at least 85 cities in support of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. He was jailed this week after his defiant rush return to Russia. Navalny who had been recovering in Germany for what Western scientists determined to be poisoning by the Soviet-era nerve agent Novichok, asked his supporters to protest against his jailing and against Russia's ruling elite as a whole. Saturday's events are set to test the strength of his support at home after his poisoning sparked Western sanctions and condemnation against Moscow. Russian authorities sent out strong warnings against attending protests, which have not received required government authorization. Several of Navalny's Allies were jailed or fined ahead of Saturday's events, while Russian state media watchdog ordered social media posts promoting the rallies to be taken down. At least 2,432 people have been detained in 937 cities nationwide, with 855 detainees in Moscow alone, according to independent police monitor OVD Info. The Navalny case is something that's obviously long going and obviously been very controversial. What's going on? Uh, we here believe the, a nation has a sovereign right to deal with its government and deal with its protesters as they want to. But we also believe that or many of us believe that the Russians are basically playing dirty pool in the whole situation, especially after they tried to poison him and use the fact that he recovered in a foreign country as excuse to say he broke his parole and throw him in jail as soon as he came back to basically face the charges. This is something that's going to go on for a while. Every so often we see Navalny uh, do his appearances by video in court, and there's still plenty of people in Russia protesting, which is really odd because the news reporters are saying that it's not older people who actually remember communist life. It's a lot of younger people who don't know how things used to be and who are seeing things around the world, including here in the United States, and how protests are so simple and easy to do that are doing it. 
So we'll see if the protest movement is going to continue for protesters and if the protest movement for Navalny itself is going to push itself on forward. Coming in at number seven this week, this was a story that I waited a few days to actually post because I was waiting for a headline that basically said exactly what this says. JoJo Siwa comes out as gay after viral born this way TikTok. Saturday the 23rd of January, we posted this one, and this story gets a bump in response from the eight story of 20.78%. I'm going to read a little bit from the, the stories as posted. NBC News is a source for this one, and like I said, I waited for literally this headline because a lot of them were kind of wishy-washy. Then give a little bit of commentary on this one, but I'm trying to try to be brief on it, so bear with me. Jojo Siwa, the 17-year-old singer, dancer, actor, and YouTube personality, has come out as gay after alluding to it on social media in recent days. Siwa first hinted at her coming out in a TikTok video posted on her over 31 million and growing followers on Thursday. In the video, she dances to Born This Way, the 2011 smash hit by Lady Gaga, widely regarded as an LGBTQ anthem. The video has more than 4.5 million likes and 25 million views. By far, Siwa's most popular video on TikTok. Out of the more than 260,000 comments in the video, several prominent UT influencers, including such as James Charles, Colleen Banger, Nikki DeJager, Bretman Rock, and more, congratulated and praised her. On Friday, Siwa posted a definitive message sharing a photo of herself wearing a shirt that reads, Best Gay Cousin Ever, and saying her cousin got it for her. Praise and positive reaction poured in for Siwa on Twitter, making her a trending topic on Friday afternoon. So that was the words that were written. As I said, this has been going on for maybe two weeks when this video was originally published and when people were sort of questioning what it meant. And then for a few days where it said most of the headlines literally said Jojo Siwa comes out as a part of the LBGTQ plus community. I literally waited days to someone actually put the word as gay because otherwise it, it was really extremely it was extremely confusing because many people who support people who are LGBTQ plus are consider themselves a part of the community because they're part of the, the love and support of the community, not necessarily they themselves uh, identify as any of these things. I've literally waited to someone on a national news outlet and it was this one posted this now as we said with the conversation these stories are some that don't necessarily get a lot of big time love in the mainstream media because either they're really really weird or they're really really obscure or they just you know there are other bigger things going on this is kind of a semi big deal of an extremely popular personality with kids because when these things happen there's usually backlash and sometimes there is support but there's usually some sort of weird backlash that comes in maybe not so weird but it it happens. No one has based. I've not seen any real backlash on this story. So we'll see if this one carries out and how record sales, if there are still records out there or ticket sales and views for the things she's doing, if they continue to be be coming from the same sources or if she's found basically a brand new source as essentially the Miley Cyrus thing kicks in. She's 17. She's about to be an adult essentially soon. And so playing to the teenagers, like uh, Miley, Cyrus, Miley Cyrus did as Hannah Montana switching over to herself and going sort of wild at that point. 
we may be seeing the opening of this and the opening really, really large by essentially the young lady coming out as gay, which if she wants to, that's all great and grand and dandy. Just for some people, it might be a hard thing to take. So let's take in the story we have next at number six. The headline reads, Tacoma police officer under investigation after driving SUV through crowd. This is one you probably saw some video on in some of the newscasts throughout the week because it was extremely uh, graphic, but uh, also just an odd thing of what everything's going on right now. The details for that, we posted it on Sunday, the 24th of January. Bump in response from the story at number seven is 8.6%. Here are some lines from the Seattle Times as they wrote the story up originally. The Tacoma officer actions are under investigation by an independent police review body after he drove an SUV through a crowd on Saturday night. Footage of the incident was widely shared on social media and showed a police vehicle knocking several people to the ground and running over at least one person as onlookers screen. Two people were injured and taken to hospitals, according to the Pierce County Force Investigation Team, which is conducting the review. The injuries are not expected to be life-threatening, and one person has been released as of Sunday morning. In response to the incident, a large crowd gathered in Tacoma on Sunday evening to protest against the police department. As they marched through downtown, some in the crowd broke windows at buildings, including a bail bonds office and the county city building mayor. Um, there should be a period there because I can't read. Mayor Victoria Woodard said in a statement Sunday that Saturday night's incident, quote, is being taken very seriously and that she's called on the city manager to, and police chief to, quote, ensure that everyone involved is held accountable. Now, breaking of windows and looting and doing bad things while protesting never, never condone. So please don't let me think that that's don't let you think that I'm all for that protest in the incident. Always condone. And for whatever reason, um, well, well, here's the reason. The, re the explanation we got for the officer driving through the crowd was that his police car was being swarmed by people on that Saturday night. And whether it was a protest or whether it was just a mass gathering, there was just a group of people that basically mobbed his car and started essentially beating on it in the car. And so in a panic, he drove off to get out of the situation and ended up hitting people and running over at least one person. Luckily, no serious injuries from this, but he, as normally, put on some administrative leave. Seattle, the Washington area, the great Northwest, having some issues with policing right now. So this is not looking good for them. We'll see how this thing plays out as we get more details on the case coming forward. And coming forward, we'll get to the stories that you said were the really, really, really most important. We're going to break between right now and get in just a moment, coming back to the stories at five to one. The top five stories that you said were most conversation this week are coming up in just a bit here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne. Of course, the week ending January the 30th, 2021. As I said earlier, the Conversation Project is powered by you. So if you want to stop by our website and look for how you can partner up with us, it is at thisistheconversation.com slash partnerships. You can also visit any of our sponsors, which you can see them throughout all of our platforms. And this week, we want to spotlight a great sponsor that basically helps me get through my day and days because I'm a person who has very little time for anything. And I'm also a person who wants to take in lots of information, which is why I'm doing a podcast on news stories for the week. But I also want to take in other bits of information so I can keep up with my peers. And the way I do that is using an app 
called Blinkist. Now, Blinkist allows you to get caught up very, very quickly on all the great nonfiction books out there. And essentially, as new books come out, they are turning them in around and putting them in the app. What they do, they put them in summaries they call Blinks, essentially taking a full book that may take hours to days to read and putting it down to something that is readable, which may or may not be a word, in about 15 minutes in both reading form where you can actually flip through the pages on your on your app or you can listen to it. Someone will read it to you in that same amount of time. It is an amazing app that will help you get caught up on all those great books that you know you need to read and some great books that you didn't know you needed to. Plus, they've added shortcasts to the menu where you can check out shortish podcasts that will give you information. And they also have original content that's made to be short and easy to take in and links to full books that you might want to go to that are related to the blinks that you may take in. You can catch up on a lot of stuff and find yourself down lots of rabbit holes a whole lot quicker than you would think. You can go through two or three books a day, two or three books an hour, essentially, by using Blinkist. We have a great deal for you. Get a free trial of the app by going to thisisaconversation.com slash Blinkist. Thisisaconversation.com slash Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And just figure out what's going on in your life and why you can't get caught up on all those books out there. We will get you taken care of. It's Blinkist. So check it out. This is our spotlight sponsor for today. Back to the stories that you said were the tops, the stories that are most conversation this week. This is one uh, with memes being a thing these days. Uh, this meme turned into something massive uh, happening over the weekend. The headline for the story at number five reads like this. Conor McGregor receives brutal meme treatment after Dustin Doria, Poirier, read that five times fast, knocks him out at UFC 257. The stats on this story uh, were... Well, this is an interesting story, so let me have to back up a little bit. As we say throughout the weeks here on this podcast, because Twitter has such a quick response, Twitter basically drives the ship on where stories make their into, and then Facebook sort of shuffles them as it wants to be. This is a story that did not get as much Twitter love as the regular stories here, but so much Facebook response pulled it into the top 10 and made it a number five story. So this is the top Facebook respondents story of the week. And Facebook made this thing happen for you guys. It also had a bump in response from the story at number six, the Tacoma police officer driving through the crowd at 14.85%. Let's read from the write-up we have, uh, Connor McGregor and his memeified or being memeified, I guess from gimmesport.com. It hasn't taken long for the internet to reach Connor McGregor's shock defeat at UFC 257 to Dustin Poirier. In the second round, the American seized the opportunity and destroyed the Irishman, knocking him clean out to the canvas before referee Herb Dean had to get involved to wave off the fight. Abu Dhabi's fight island was supposed to play host to McGregor's emphatic return to the octagon after a year away, but instead it turned into redemption arena for Poirier, who righted his 2014 wrong when he was stopped by Notorious in the first round after being knocked out. It is safe to say the internet has not gone easy on McGregor, who gives it out, so he may as well prepare to take it. From sleeping memes to iconic Bernie Sanders posts, the internet, and in particular Twitter, is seeing all sorts posted. 
Yeah, this weekend was big on memes. Bernie Sanders making millions of dollars off his meme sitting at the inauguration and being ported in with with this one with with McGregor being knocked out, doing all sorts of weird things, mostly sleeping in strange places uh, in his memification of the weekend. We'll see what happens to his career coming forward. But right now, we'll see if he makes any money off memes like Bernie did as well. Let's move on to the story at number four. Michigan Mega Millions ticket wins 1.5 billion jackpot. This story is a super story. By super story, that means we combine headlines from stories that are literally the same or literally updates to each other because we have so much to post. And so they're not out there floating around making things happen. This story was going to be here anyway. The big, uh, no big real shift in the, the boundaries for this being the update to the original story. And that, of course, was that Mega Millions went to a billion dollars in a jackpot. We posted the update on Saturday, the 23rd, and this story gets a bump in response of 5.17 from the story at number five. Here is the details from the write-up. We pulled it straight from AP News. Someone in Michigan bought the winning ticket for the $1.5 billion Mega Millions jackpot, which is the third largest lottery prize in U.S. history. The winning numbers for Friday night's drawing were 4, 26, 42, 50, and 60 with a mega ball of 24. The winning ticket was purchased at a Kroger store in the Detroit suburb of Novi, the Michigan Lottery said. Mega Millions' top prize has been growing since September 15th when a winning ticket was sold in Wisconsin. The lottery's next estimated jackpot is $20 million. Friday night's drawing came just two days after a ticket sold in Maryland matched all six numbers drawn and won 731.1 million Powerball jackpot. The jackpot figures refer to amounts if a winner opts for the annuity paid in 30 annual installments. Most winners choose a cash prize, which for the Mega Millions game would be $776.6 million before taxes and $557 million after taxes. Michigan Lottery spokesman Jake Harris said those things. He also said the ticket holder should sign the back and keep in a safe place. Now, I know the winner of the Powerball is in a state of Wisconsin, I think I read it a while ago. Um the Powerball winner, that winner can be, oh, sorry, Maryland is where the Powerball was sold. The Powerball winner in that state can be anonymous, so they'll probably have less of a chance of random cousins popping up. Uh, I'm not sure what the case is for Michigan. I know here, because I bought a bunch of tickets, it's not. So well, basically was essentially as soon as I found I had the numbers and knew it was good, going to find a compound to go stay in and just kind of disappear for the rest of my life. Obviously, I didn't win, and you probably didn't win because that's the way it works. When lotteries get really, really big, a lot of people get into them, even though they know it's not going to happen because at that point it's worth the effort. Otherwise, it's not worth the effort, especially if a lot of people aren't going out. A lot, there's not a lot going on in COVID-19. So congratulations to that winner, that big, big, big prize. One ticket sold. So one person taking the whole big caboodle. They always talk about the the annuity and no one ever takes the annuity, but because basically cash on hand now is better than 30 years of cash going forward. This story at number three made my wife really, really sad. Headline, Godiva is closing or selling all its stores in the United States. We posted this story on Thursday, the 28th of January, and it gets a bump in response from the number four story of 16.39%. Reading from the source, CNN is this. The company is closing or selling all 128 of its brick-and-mortar stores in North America, it announced in a statement. It plans to complete the closures and sales by the end of March. Godiva will keep its stores open across Europe, Middle East, and Greater China. The company did not disclose information on how many employees 
employees, should say, would be let go because of the closures. Less than two years ago, Godiva was planning a massive expansion by getting into the cafe business. The Chocolatier opened its first cafe in the United States and New York in April of 2019 and announced that it planned on opening 10 more cafes in New York and more than 400 across the United States. It was part of a plan to open 2,000 new cafes across the world, but that plan never came to fruition. Godiva relied heavily on mall traffic, which has been plummeting even before the pandemic. The Chocolatier sales are largely driven by online purchases and purchases through Godiva's grocery club and retail partners. This change comes during a time when COVID has hit dozens of underperforming businesses. The retail apocalypse in particular has come for restaurants, mall stores, businesses that rely on impulse shopping and luxury retailers. This is uh, stuff that I basically cover when I do my my business podcasting, my business writing. Uh, The fact that malls are a dying business mostly because things can be shipped to you by Amazon, most partially because we can't go to malls as we could with the COVID-19 and partially because the people do want to still go to stores and they still want to see things. But a lot of times they are basically showcasing, just seeing how things look and not sticking around for the impulse buys such as chocolate or coffee. This is a story of the world right now, and you hear this all over the place about how retailers are not being able to to handle not so much the change in conditions in the bad market, but the literally shut down, being shut down, forced to shut down because of the pandemic and the government and its regulations. We will see how this thing turns around once we get back to a normal that has people out there, and we'll see whether the retail and all the real estate out there is going to actually rebound. We'll know more about how many people will actually be let go, of course, once they start closing down stops, shops and we start seeing actual numbers of people leaving. That's a time we'll see that. I'm sure we'll have updates when that happens and we'll throw it in there and you guys can tell us whether it's worth talking about again. Of course, like we said, you make the stories uh, worth talking about. You tell me what stories we're talking about by just following us on our social media feeds. This is the conversation. Find us on Facebook and look for us as the blue speech bubble thing and make sure we're set as default so we have a better chance of fighting all those little things that the feed in Facebook is fighting to keep out of your face. And then on Twitter, it is TH underscore conversation because too many letters. This next story is probably the really top story. There's a little bit of a quirk that the story at number one is, and we'll talk about that in plenty detail when we get there. But this uh, because we have a very, very boring new president and it's not causing headlines every couple of hours on Twitter doing really boring things like signing stuff and going to bed. Uh, this was a big deal that happened uh, that was able to spark out and got a lot of con- a lot of coverage and a lot of controversy because this is a David versus Goliath. But it's also a case where the Davids are also cheating as much as the Goliaths in, in, in reality. What am I talking about? Oh, it's pretty simple. Your headline at number two, Robinhood to allow limited buys on GameStop AMC on Friday. This is listed as a super story, which means we combined a couple of headlines because there's a whole lot of GameStonk and AMC and Robinhood and all the other merry free trading platforms having issues back and forth. So we had about five different stories uh, to post into this one headline, and that was the one we posted to present. However, uh, the stories basically range from a large swath between uh, right here at number number two and all the way down into the middle 25s, 26s. So not much movement in the story. Uh, one of the stories, in fact, this headline was going to be 
in the top 10 anyway. When we put them all together, it's just what we ended up with to have um, basically to keep all the kind of clutter of the stories out of the way. So let's get to the story. If you've not, if you've been under a rock, then you weren't trying to buy GameStop and AMC on Thursday. Let me tell you what happened. GameStop went on another stock market adventure on Thursday, briefly crossing $450 a share before closing at 193.6. Behind the meteoric rise, Reddit users who banded together to take on Wall Street establishment. The rebellion experienced a hiccup when individual investors found out some trading sites and apps have restricting transactions on securities in the beaten up video game retailer, as well as movie chain AMC and other companies. Robinhood, a popular investor app, prevented customers from purchasing more shares of several companies, but it was allowing for limited buy starting Friday. On Thursday morning, Twitter users began posting screenshots of the Robinhood app that showed the message appended to the pages GameStop, AMC, Nokia, and Bed Bath Beyond. Quote, the stock is not supported on Robinhood. Robinhood explained the move in a blog post before trading open. Quote, in light of recent volatility, we are restricting transactions for certain securities and positions closing today, including AMC, BB, BBBY, EXPR, GME, COSS, KOSS, NAKD, and NOK, the company wrote. In addition to AMC, Bed Bath Beyond, GameStop, and Nokia, the company listed by ticker symbols are phone numbers, a phone maker BlackBerry, fashion retailer Express, headphone maker Koss, and underwear company Naked Brand Group. Robinhood later sent out an email to customers saying it would allow limited buys of those securities starting Friday. It made the decision because U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission regulations. A class action lawsuit has been filed on Thursday in the Southern District of New York. CNET is our source for that one. Um, if I didn't get you the stats because I rushed into this one, uh, we said this story was posted on Thursday, the 28th of January. It's a bump in response from the number three story of 189.44%, which when you get to the story coming up next, you're going to freak out at the bump of response on that one. But this was probably the biggest story of the week, and it meant a lot to a lot of people who got a chance to learn how the investment works, investment world works and learn how the investment world works, as in it's all kind of a front, a scam, a cheat anyway. It's just that the rich used to cheat at it. Now that the poor folks are sort of gaming the system, it freaked a lot of folks out. Essentially, what went down is many different, um, there's many different sites on the internet within Facebook, within Reddit, which is very groups, where people sort of ask what people were buying. And in some cases, they sort of decide as a group. And so the thing that makes this not like a, a stock buying group where you and 20 people meet and talk about things is that millions of people talk about these things and then millions of people buy the shares and a million people pump up things that don't make any difference, including a story we had listed this week from GameStop, different people that actually work there that said, well, you know, this stock valuation thing is great and all, but we basically make $11 an hour and we're not getting anything from all of this stuff. Now, the real problem that happens is when you buy a stock, uh, you don't necessarily buy it then. You do put money in and it's and it's ticked there and it's a ticker and it goes from there. But the actual transactions are taken care of later in the back end. And in order to make these things work out, especially at the valuations that they're at, the companies at the brokerage have to hold on to enough money in reserve to basically pay off the, the actual buys. And what was happening was... With the stock prices going extremely high on stocks and for companies that really weren't doing that great, 
It was freaking out people in hedge funds who basically short the stock. Shorting the stock means they basically borrow some money to buy a stock at a price, but because they don't think the company's doing very good, they are going to assume they're going to sell it back at the lower price, and they make a little money off of it. I said that a little backwards, but essentially you get that. They basically... They basically get it at a, at a high price to sell, then buy it back at a low price, and they make the difference in what's going on. Because the price was going up so high, it was going to be hard for them to cover, and so the hedge funds started pulling money out. What that triggered, what people believe, is that hedge funds, since they back many of these apps, decided to tell folks like Robinhood and other apps like that, figure it out. So they stopped letting people buy the stock, which stopped letting the stock rise because it's all about speculation and imaginary things. And so the stock dropped from almost 500 to down to almost 200 in a day. And the valuation of the stock before this whole buying thing was around 30, if not less than that. I'm not, I don't have that directly in front of me. The whole way the stock market works is mass manipulation. That's why I'm going to speak out of turn here. Donald Trump was able to tout his great economy by touting the rise of stocks. Stocks, for some reason, because people kept bump, pumping money into them, a lot of it, investors on things like Robinhood, made the make the prices rise because people pumping money into something means you're expected to do better. Not that the retailers are doing better. AME, AMC, not doing better in movie theaters. They're not opening thing up, and I assume GameStop is going to shut down even more stores this year as more people buy things online. And and in the article that was posted that we also had linked to, the people at GameStop just talk about just how horrible of a company it is to work for. So there really is no reason for innovation. You have all that. So this is something that's going to go through for ne- next week since basically there was like a pause in a day and a half of the buying. The whole point was to hold on to the stock till. Uh, essentially now, but that got paused now. We'll see how much, how many more people are going to buy up the stock. And if the, the hedge funds aren't shorting the stock, see if it's worth anything to anybody within the next couple of days, because that's where the money comes from the gamble. It's from the hedge funds doing the shorting in the stock. Otherwise, it's not really worth the effort. So the story we have at number one, number one gets plenty of fanfare in this one, it earned it. And while I'm still a little head scratchy about why anybody would care about this, because I was almost sure this was a fake story. The source is the New York Post, which doesn't doesn't mean it's going to be a real story. But there were other different write ups of this story. And we put it out there and you guys jumped on it early, posted on Monday, the 25th of January. It's the top rated Twitter story. The top rated Twitter story is normally number one. But this story, oh, by the way, gets a bump in response from the number two story, the Robin Hood um, opening buys back up for GameStop AMC on Friday by 2,616% from just the story right there, there. And, of course, that story was a big jump as well. The story at number 10, which was the Make-A-Wish CEO from Iowa uh, being locked down for stealing money from Make-A-Wish, that bump in response is 14,985%. That's normally the distance, more or less, for the stories at the very bottom. This week, the very bottom, story 194, which will tell you the headline at the end of the show, the bump in response was 278,975%. That's how much more responsive this story is. This story may be one of the more responsive stories we've ever covered, and it's, it's interesting. 
While the story about Godiva chocolate made my wife cry a little bit, this story made her scratch her head and have her ask me about it, to which all I can do was shrug my shoulders and say, I really hope it's real because it got all this love on Twitter this week. Your headline, Target polling products allegedly made with forced monkey labor. From the New York Post, Target will no longer sell coconut milk made by the Thai company Chaco after an investigation alleged the drink is tied to forced monkey labor, the people for the ethical treatment of animals announced Monday. Quote, by dropping Chaco, Target is joining thousands of stores that refuse to profit from chained monkeys' misery. PETA exposés have confirmed that Thai coconut producers are exploiting monkeys and lying about it, so there's no excuse for any grocery store to keep Chaco on its shelves. In the quote from PETA Executive Vice President Tracy Riemann, in a statement, of course, PETA, which has tracked monkey exploitation in Thailand since 2019, conducted two undercover investigations that found primates are forced to pick coconuts all day with chains around their necks. The group's probe found, quote, cruelty to monkeys in every form at every monkey training facility and in every coconut picking contest that use monkey labor, unquote. We share the time at the end of the first of the top story, number one story for commentary. And this is one that I was basically floored on because this is not something dealing with social justice. This is not something that's blacky, black, black, black stuff. This is not something that's just a weird quirk of the government. This is a just flat out odd story to cover. I am all against an unethical treatment of animals. I am all against, you know, slave labor of any kind. But I literally had no idea that monkeys were being put into coconut picking slavery. In fact, PETA, I don't know what they knew about this. Like the story says, they started their investigations in 2019. That's only that's not even two years from now. It's like because it's barely 2021. So how come we're just now finding out about this? Number, I guess, number one, I don't drink coconut water. I'm not a big consumer of, of actual raw coconut. And, you know, my, my, my family, they don't like coconut or anything, so we don't buy it for baking or cooking or anything like that. But this is just one of those things that just got caught me right out of left field when the story was posted. It was posted on one of the news aggregator sites that I frequent. So that's where we pulled it from and then pulled it from the source of the post. But as I said, when I went and looked a little deeper into it to make sure this was not a fake story, it was posted in a lot of places and it was fresh. So it seemed like it was real. I'm hoping it's a real story because I just presented to you as a real story and you guys jumped on it as the most interesting, most conversational, most what the H story we had for this week. And hopefully you guys had a lot of conversation with it because like I said, this is a story that lasted quite a bit of time. We posted it on Monday, late Monday. In fact, that's probably why it was posted, because we fill 24 hours worth of stories every 50 minutes. And so it was probably just one of those last minute. OK, we'll, we'll, we'll drop this in there and see what happens. It lasted. It overlasted. This is a, maybe one of the top rated Twitter stories, definitely top rated Twitter stories we had in a while. Probably ever. This podcast is about five years old, so that's a lot of stats to go back and look for. We don't really dig that deep into it when we go past to, to old news. But that's a whole lot of people checking out this story on Twitter. Thank you so much for being supportive of the story. And if you want more information on that, uh, just uh, email me at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we will chat more about it, I guess. Uh, we'll keep looking for more stories on forced monkey labor and other cruelty to animal practices out there. But for right now, 
this this will probably be uh, this is yeah this is the oddest story that I've ever covered and this includes a story that also I wasn't sure why it captured so much attention of the snake that was covered in ticks that that the the exterminator found that had to help get ticks off the snake which was weird in its own so with that we're going to just go in and transition out to um to <laughs> to the next step and when we come back in a moment, we'll go through all the stats behind the scenes stuff, the numbers that made these things work. And, of course, get into the story at number 194 this week, the very bottom story, which we call the almost relevant story of the week, which had a long chance to catch up and get some traction, but didn't. That's coming up in just a moment here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne for the week ending January the 30th, 2021. I want to introduce you to the ranching community and the ranch family community. And I'm going to do that by having you talk to a man named Clay Connery. Clay Connery is the founder of WorkingCows.net and the host of the Working Cows podcast. Why is this interesting? Well, oddly enough, farming is one of those things that interests me because I'm a big numbers guy. I'm a big data guy. And I spent a couple of years uh, doing um, doing farm reports and doing ag reports and talking about markets and what's up there in commodities and things like that. So those numbers, those things, tracking how many cows are bought and sold is something that's interesting to me. What I didn't know was so interesting were the life of people who did all that stuff and the farmers and what happens around them. So the Working Cows podcast is a podcast about Connery and his farming family and the communities around them. And it's a way that he's trying to do to bring together ranching communities, ranching families as a way that they can communicate and sometimes commiserate and just kind of join in with knowledge. And what he does is he is always coming up with what he calls out of box thinking for how to deal with farming type things. And you can go through really, really deep stories by the family and other families and other people that contribute to see what it's like to, ranch, what it's like to grow, what it's like to keep up with large acreage of land and the animals that wander around on that. This is a very interesting podcast, so I want you to check it out. Give it a listen and see what you think about it. Sometimes you will find in your search for podcasting things that something really odd will catch your attention. And what you're going to find out is that Clay is actually just a man trying to uh, keep his industry in the know and ahead of innovation. And so he's throwing things out for people in the community to try, and he's looking for information from other people in the community and some folks outside of it. So I'm not sure if I'm ever going to go ranching with Clay, but I do know I'm going to keep listening to this podcast. This was an interesting podcast that was sent to us to check out. We checked it out, and we think you should check it out, too. It's going to give you a great insight to probably a group of people that you may not have thought too much about, but you probably should. The podcast is called Working Cows. You find it at workingcows.net. It is hosted by a very, very good guy named of Clay Connery, and he and his podcast are our spotlight podcast for this week. Twitter really did run the show this week. The Twitter response engagement totally was 95.71%. So it's extra 
five-ish percent of engagement for versus Facebook, which is 4.29%. And it, Facebook actually did a good job of people on Facebook engaging and stuff. Like we said, the number five story with Conor McGregor would not have gotten there without the big Facebook engagement. And that actually was a fairly high engagement level for this week. And many stories had a relatively high engagement level for this week. But when you have a Twitter response so high that it, it just dwarfs everything else, it's hard to uh, make it make it make a run. And that's what happened this week. Now, total engagement for the story at number one this week, because it was so massive, was 68.09%. That is well beyond the normal 35% that the top the top 10 stories usually pull. So this week, because that story pulled so much, and oddly enough, the story at number two for Robin Hood, which normally been a nice big 10 percenter, was only about a 2.5%, 2.51 be exact. That skewed the entire engagement for the week. And the top 10 stories, instead of being about 35% of engagement, were at 75.47%, about 76%, 74.5% rounding down in the engagement. So the stories that were been the almost rands, that story at 11 through 15, we don't go deep into the stories. We'll tell you basically what their numbers were because they were close. And those stories are normally somewhere around 5 to 6% of engagement, 2.11% this week. And the story at the very, very bottom this week, which is based, it's actually actually on track. It normally pulls about 0.03. It's only a 0.02. So that's not so bad a response for this week. And it did have a little bit of a quirk into it. But as we said, we posted this story uh, very early, Saturday, the 23rd of January. So it was there for the front end. It had all week to gain some traction and gain little traction. Here's your headline. Disney has a new grilled cheese sandwich made with donuts. And fans aren't sure how to feel about it. Insider.com is our source of this story. And there's no real need to go too deep into the story because it's basically this. One of the venues at Disney has a brand new grilled cheese sandwich for six bucks. Okay, grilled cheese. Delicious. Lovely on a warm day. Lovely on a cold day. Goes with pretty much everything. A grilled cheese sandwich can never go wrong. But if you get the $1 upgrade, they won't put it on regular old bread. They'll pop it on a glazed donut. Yes, Disney is now selling glazed donut grilled cheese sandwiches, and some of the people are kind of freaking out about it. This is not necessarily all that out of the ordinary because when your state fair comes around, you always hear about deep fried butter and things like that because if you can drop it in a fryer, it's extra delicious. And every season, one of the bigger drawers to the that on purpose draws to uh, to get people into minor league ballparks because uh, is one seeing the players of tomorrow on the stage today and and having just lots of fun in a great environment is really weird foods. And well, many years back, there was a big deal about a ballpark that had the Krispy Kreme burger, which was hamburgers on a Krispy Kreme donut. It was such a big deal that we actually one day in the radio station that we worked for that actually broadcast the games for the team, the local team, they didn't have that burger. It was up north someplace. We decided to grill some burgers and get some Krispy Kremes, and everybody ate Krispy Kreme burgers. And they weren't bad if you like extra sugar on your bun. And so this is freaking people out, apparently, that grilled cheese on a donut should not exist. Although some people are pretty happy with it and are gladly paying an extra buck for the upgrade. Although some people believe it's just a downgrade to what already is the perfect sandwich. Grilled cheese. Cheese, toast, a little bit of butter, grilled to perfection and perfect toastiness. Adding a sugary donut, just for some folks, is a bridge or a bun too far. 
And before I go too many more buns too far, we're going to go ahead and get out of the show right now. Thank you so much for being a part of the weekly wrap up. Thanks so much for being a part of the conversation project and helping us find the stories, find the conversation topics, find things that are the most conversational that aren't just what comes down the line on TV. I love me some Tiffany Cross and some Jonathan Capehart and love to have new brand new shows on MSNBC. But sometimes I love to hear what other people really want to talk about. Not so much another regurgence of the big stories of the week or the overdone stories of the week. And you folks tell us what those stories are. And that allows us to share with the world what stories are really cool and conversational. Thank you so much. to Be a part of the program. As I say always, you just simply follow us on social media. On Facebook, look for This Is The Conversation. On Twitter, look for TH underscore conversation. And every 50 minutes or so, we'll post a brand new story. And you just engage in it. Like it, love it, hate it, share it. The more engagement story gets, the higher score it gets for the countdown every single week. This podcast is, of course, powered by you. So stop by thisistheconversation.com slash partnerships and become a real partner with us. Help us keep things on. Or just visit one of our sponsors on our platforms on the newsletter, on the website, of course, inside the feed. And this week, of course, we spotlighted one of my favorite sponsors and a lot of folks that I love with them as well, Blinkist. Go to thisistheconversation.com slash Blinkist for a, a great deal. You get their app for a great free trial for Blinkist and get caught up on all those books that you know you want to read, but you don't think you have time for. You can get them down in 15 minutes or less. It is possible. We also want to uh, give a special shout out to the Working Cows podcast at workingcows.net and check them out. You might find your next favorite podcast is about ranching. You just might do that if you give it a shot. The best way you can invest in us is by sharing us with other folks. You don't have to spend a dime to make sure people know we exist. So share us with friends, share it with enemies, share us with random strangers out there in the world so that we have more people in conversation so we have better conversations. We are pretty much anywhere pods are cast. If you can't find us, let us know. If you've not, look at our website. We have listings there as well. And if there's something you want to talk about, chat about, or find us someplace, Email the show and the crew at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. This is where I say thank you three times, ramble a little bit, say thank you three times again and get out. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We are working very, very hard for the next week's podcast and trying to make sure we're innovative and getting things done in a way that is entertaining, enlightening, and of course, informative, informative to you, even if I can't say words out of my mouth. So we are appreciate you. We're going back to work. We're already got some stories in the can ready to go. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get ready for next week's great presentation of the top stories per you. Count them down from 10 to 1 here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne. And we will talk to you next week.